Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. It's important that all provinces are working to help uh, Canada to achieve its target. We're going to make sure that we maintain the integrity of our digital environment. We must all act together now to limit further the spread. I'm declaring a public health emergency of international concern. And I will tell you, Canada is at the forefront of the response. And I can assure you that the government of Canada is there to respond to this consular emergency, and we will continue to do so. The World Health Organization has declared the coronavirus outbreak a global health emergency. But here at home, the government says the threat to Canadians remains low. Amid questions about what steps are being taken to protect the Canadian public, Ottawa has found itself under fire over the delay in evacuating about 200 Canadians from Wuhan, the centre of the outbreak. Foreign Affairs Minister François-Philippe Champagne said negotiations with his Chinese counterparts take time and that the logistics are complicated. NDP health critic Dong Davies called on the government to be more upfront about minimizing the risk to Canadians here at home. Joining me now is Health Minister Patty Haidu. Thank you for joining us, Minister. Thanks for having me, Mercedes. The World Health Organization has declared a global health emergency when it comes to coronavirus. What does that mean for Canada and does that trigger them reaching that level of being willing to declare an emergency mean that it's time to take more aggressive action here at home? So what that means for Canada is, uh, in, in our case, continue what we're doing and support the international effort to find uh, out more about the virus, to find out more about what potential uh, pathways we have to d discover a vaccine or some kind of antidote to, to the illness. Um, it also uh, means that we need to do more collaboratively as a world to support countries that don't have the same level of sophistication in their public health systems as Canada does. But in terms of our own uh, national Preparedness. No, uh, we are we are uh, we are in line with the recommendations as they stand, and we are one of the leading countries contributing to reducing the global spread. Other countries have already evacuated their citizens who are in Wuhan, Japan, the UK, the US, bringing them home. We have not done that yet, and there's been some criticism, particularly by Canadians who are in Wuhan, that the government has been too slow. Why has it taken so long to get to the plan in place to bring people home? Part of the challenge that we had when, when the virus uh, became more well-known and we knew that we had as a world a, a virus that could spread was that many Canadians that were in the Wuhan, Hubei region of China had not actually registered with Global Affairs Canada. So we didn't know that we had very many Canadians or, you know, we knew we had Canadians there, but we didn't know who. We didn't know what kind of supports or services people might need. So in those early days, as I was reminding Canadians to register, online with the Global Affairs, uh, on the Global Affairs website, we saw a real spike in numbers of people who are now telling us that they were there. And our, uh, of course, officials had to reach out to each individual or family to talk about what they were looking for in terms of support. And as that clarity uh, happened over the last couple of days, we were able to ascertain that we would have the numbers needed to charter our own plane. Is there any concern, and I understand the the desire of the Canadians to want to come home and the government to bring them home and into the Canadian health care system, but is there a concern that you potentially spread the virus by bringing people out of the epicenter where this originated? 
So uh, China's been really clear that people that are sick with the virus, people that are sick uh, at all, uh, won't be able to travel, and there'll be extensive health screening in partnership with Canadian officials before people board the plane. Having said that, we'll also be supporting Canadians who are ill, and right now we don't have any reports of Canadians asking for assistance who are ill, but if there were to be people who became ill before we were able to uh, arrive in China, we would support those people in China to make sure they're getting appropriate health care systems. But they wouldn't be allowed on the plane. At this point, China is saying they would prefer not to, and in fact, I've insisted with other countries that sick patient, patients don't travel for a couple reasons. One, obviously, it's not good for the sick patient themselves. It's a long journey. It can be very stressful, and there may not be the appropriate medical supports depending on the severity of the illness. But secondly, because to contain the global spread, China has been working very hard to ensure that cases don't leave the country. So uh, the, uh, the the way that we could support people should they become ill in in the intervening days before we have evacuate Canadians is to actually support them through ensuring they're getting their medical needs through the, the China health care system. There's about a 14-day incubation period. So you could have people get on that plane who have no symptoms, but when they get off here, they have symptoms, or days later, they become ill. So what's the plan for those Canadians that you're bringing home? Will you put them into isolation or quarantine them? Well, I'd like to remind Canadians that the risk is, remains extremely low today. As we've said all along, the risk is low to Canadians, and part of that is because of our incredible public health care system and the lessons that we've learned from SARS about the importance for information, the importance for uh, uh, working together, sharing information about potential cases that might be under investigation and positive changes, uh, positive cases, cases that have tested positive with each other. Uh, so far, what uh, the process that we have in place has been working. In terms of the people that are coming from Wuhan, uh, we would be working very closely with them on the flight, and when they arrive to ascertain their health. And I would like to remind Canadians that people that are asymptomatic, that is, that they don't have any cough or, uh, you know, flu or uh, symptoms, uh, vi uh, fever, that they are not uh, transmitting the disease. So you're not looking at a quarantine then for that plane? All options are on the table in terms of how we proceed to protect the health of Canadians that are both coming back from China, but also the health of Canadians that are here. And we'll have more details as that plan evolves. For Canadians who are here and have been in Wuhan or have been in China, you're primarily relying on self-reporting right now. Um, there's not monitoring at the airport necessarily with taking people's temperature like there was with SARS. Uh, people are not being forced into a quarantine. Some are saying the government is not taking enough action, that there, this, this is a public health issue and it shouldn't be reliant on people to self-report. There should be better tracking. What do you think of that argument? Well, I think it's uh, you know really important that when we quarantine people without any medical evidence to do so, that it actually can accelerate fear and, and discrimination, and it's not necessarily that effective. Uh, in terms of temperature taking at the airports, the challenge with that is it's not also effective. You may have symptoms without a fever. You may have fever without the other symptoms, and it doesn't necessarily tell us if the people if people have, have the virus. Uh, the measures that we're taking are evidence-based. They're recommended by the World Health Organization. In fact, one of the things that the World Health Organization has recommended is to limit restrictions on travel and trade uh, solely because uh, that the evidence doesn't support those kinds of stringent measures at the, at the airport. And we've been very effective in ensuring that the process we've put into place, including self-reporting if you've visited the region, which requires then a thorough uh, interview with the CBSA officer, uh, are, are in place in all, uh, all languages that people can understand. The, the U.S. is being very categorical and very clear. They're saying don't go to China to their citizens. Just don't go 
at all for any reason. And if you're there, you should consider leaving. Leaving. Uh, Canada has said we recommend against non-essential travel. Why not take a tougher position on either flights coming into Canada or recommendations to Canadians who could be considering travel to China? Again, um, we are working closely with the recommendations of the World Health Organization, which have indicated that no further restriction on travel or trade should be placed in, in, in this case, and nor would it necessarily be effective at, spreading, at, at stopping the, uh, the spread of the disease, but rather the measures that we have in Canada around ensuring a very robust system of surveillance, a very robust system of collaboration. So are you confident that what Chinese officials are telling you is truthful and accurate? The Chinese government has taken extraordinary measures on their behalf to try and contain the spread of the disease globally. In fact, they were praised by the World Health Organization for doing so. There is no indication that China is being deceitful. Minister Heidi, we know you have a very busy day, so thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Mercedes. The brand-new Canada-China Committee met for the first time last week. It's looking at everything from coronavirus to security threats and Huawei. Conservatives pushed for the creation of the committee as part of their call for Canada to take a harder line on China. It's been over a year now since Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig were detained in China after Huawei's CFO was arrested in Vancouver. Relations between the two countries have been strained, and many are calling on Canada to ban Huawei. Joining me now to respond to this issue are our MPs, Rob Oliphant for the Liberals, who of course is the Parliamentary Secretary for Foreign Affairs, and Dan Albus for the Conservatives. Dan, let's start with you, because we just heard from the Liberal Health Minister talking about the crisis. She says the government is doing enough. Uh, they don't want to incite panic here, that Canada is in a good position and the risk is low here. Do the Conservatives believe the government is doing enough to deal with the coronavirus outbreak? Well, anytime you're talking about a crisis of any sorts, leadership is so important. And leadership plan, they also communicate, and they hold others accountable to the plan. And so far, we have a number of unanswered questions. Uh, we have other countries, uh, such as the United States, Germany, uh, who have been able to successfully repatriate their citizens back home. And with the government, they're just unable to give us basic details on how they plan on doing this. Um, and so from our viewpoint, we actually called a uh, health committee meeting to bring the minister in to actually answer some of these questions. And Dr. Tam, our public uh, health official, certainly gave a lot of information, but we need more. We need more specifics from the government so that people can rest assured that the government's on top of this fall. Well, you know, Rob, people are saying, look, we're not monitoring at the airports. We're relying on people self-reporting in what could be a, a public health crisis if it escalates. Uh, there's no travel ban to China. We still don't know what's going to happen with the Canadians when they come back. Has the government been caught a little bit flat-footed on this? I don't think so. There's a strong travel advisory. And what the Canadian government has said is that Canadians should only travel um, if they have absolute necessity to travel to China. So we are, are advising that Canadians do not go. Um, Banning travel is, is something that is extremely different than, than travel advisories. However, we're negotiating with China right now because they would obviously prefer that we don't have movement. We're obviously preferring that we want to bring Canadians home. And we've had about uh, two, close to 200 who have asked to be repatriated. So the minister has uh, organized a, a, a charter plane. The plane is ready to go. A crew is trained and ready to go. We're waiting for manifest to know which passengers are on that plane, and we're waiting for permission from the uh, Chinese government. We've offered to help China uh, with medical supplies. We're doing everything we should do, but we're also not panicking. The last thing you want a government to do is panic. You want them to be prepared, 
planned and execute carefully. Yes. Do no harm. We need to know a little bit more information as to how the government is responding. Um, the fact that we had a Canadian citizen who self-reported and identified themselves as CPSA that they could be carrying it and were told that they could go home and then continued to phone in and, and, and basically say that they believed that they had contracted the virus. Um, you know, ag again, we should be having some crystal clear rules as to how this is, is going to be contained and what the protocols are. We should not be just letting people self-report. And Air Canada, they actually cancelled flights before the government had done anything on this. Uh, if you look at the, the in, in Italy, they've already banned air traffic altogether. So there's different approaches by different companies or countries. Some countries seem to be on the ball, some seem to be flat-footed flat on this file. Okay, I want to change gears and talk briefly about Huawei because that was something else that the committee was talking about this week. Uh, it's something certainly that the government is seized with. There's been no decision yet on whether or not to allow Huawei to participate in Canada's 5G system. But earlier, pardon me, last week, uh, the UK government made a decision to say, yes, we are going to allow them in. Uh, Rob, where is the government at? You promised a decision after the election. It's now February in terms of when Canadians will find out whether or not Huawei can participate. I think this will come up at our special committee on Canada-China relations. It hasn't come up yet. Uh, last week we had an uh, organizing meeting um, and we've begun with briefings, with two briefings um, already on the, the bilateral relationship. Uh, one was on trade and one was on the diplomatic relationship. This week we'll have one on justice and on, on consular cases. And then Dominic Barton, the, the ambassador, will appear at our committee on Wednesday. Um, we have not yet got into the issue of Huawei. Uh, we are charged with doing those various activities. We're looking at bilateral relationship trade implications, the trade relationship, and obviously safety and security issues as well. And the Huawei decision is that intersection around investment and trade and activity, business relationship, and public safety and but security. But no sense from, from, from your perspective as a senior liberal of when the government might make that decision. Uh, I am waiting as well. The government is taking, uh, obviously, the time we have our partners in the Five Eyes are all reaching decisions on Huawei in its participation. Our allies are important to us. We, we consider like-mindeds and allies on every decision we do. But Canada will make its own decision based on what's good for Canada and what's good for Canadians. And that's where we'll be at. Look, the Go Conservatives ahead, have been calling for well over a year, and we even made this part of our election platform, that the government should ban Huawei from participation in our 5G uh, uh, infrastructure. Other countries like Australia, like New Zealand, with much smaller security apparatus uh, have already banned it. But the UK is allowing it. And uh, Boris Johnson's government is not exactly radical communist sympathizers. Well, no, but I would also simply suggest that both British Telecom and Vodafone are planning on using other suppliers for it. So um, getting back to here, we also had it where the former public safety minister, Ralph Goodale, had said it would be after the election. Now we hear from the current public safety minister, Bill Blair, that it, that it will take its it's not just security considerations, but other considerations will be taken into account. So the, the question is here, has the government, are they just ragging the puck here? Okay. Are they putting our national security, are they stopping legitimate activity? Because many of these carriers are waiting to spend billions of dollars to be able to put in this next generation of infrastructure, but they can't do it with any certainty. And so it's Canadians. costing billions of dollars. And it also questions whether or not, um, you know, the government it puts our, uh, you know, other interests in front of our national security and Canadians' privacy. Those are two things that conservatives believe. Okay, quick response I, I'm going to radically agree down. with you because I think what you're saying is that this is a complex decision. We have allies and partners who have reached a decision, New Zealand and Australia on one side. We have the Americans reaching their own decisions. We have the UK make, making its decisions. 
we will carefully analyze this. We're not, we're the government, we're not in opposition. We have a, a group of tools and a, and a group of resources that we will apply to this and make a recommendation that is in the best interest of Canadians. But we, we are also back. completely separate, Rob, than the UK. United okay, Kingdom. That, our economy we is We have to wrap it up because we Absolutely. are out of time. But we certainly will. we will, I'm sure, be talking to both of you again because there the are committee. many issues on this committee. So thank you very much for joining us. Thanks Great. for having us. Thank you. The federal government says it will make a decision about the new massive oil sands project in Alberta by the end of the month. The Tech Frontier oil sands mine is seen by many as a symbolic decision that could pave the course for the strained relationship between Ottawa and Alberta. Federal Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson hinted last week the decision could be pushed even further down the road as Ottawa weighs the need to boost Alberta's economy and the need for crude oil against meeting climate targets. Wilkinson noted Alberta is currently challenging the federal carbon tax in court and connecting those two issues has not been well received in the West. Joining me now to talk about this is Alberta's Minister of the Environment and Parks, Jason Nixon. Welcome to the show, Minister. Thanks for having me on. What was your reaction when you heard the federal environment minister make that link between Alberta's challenge to the carbon tax in court and the potential approval or rejection of Tech Frontier? A variety of reactions, but the biggest issue, I think, first of all, is the, the argument itself. Uh, Alberta has a tier program, which means that the Frontier project would fall underneath the large emitter uh, program inside our province. Uh, that's a program I brought forward as Environment Minister here in Alberta uh, to manage our GHG emissions with our largest emitters. And Minister Wilkinson has given us equivalency on that project. So to compare a consumer carbon tax to, to the industrial side of the uh, carbon question is a ridiculous uh, statement. So I think that's, that's a bit confusing. In addition to that, the federal government has a carbon tax on our consumers here in the province of Alberta. So the the argument that Minister Wilkins make, Wilkinson seems to be making in the press just doesn't make any sense from our perspective. Uh, and we continue uh, to point out this project's been approved by both regulators, both the federal government regulator and the province. And it's in the best interest of this province and our country, and we expect it to be built. Does it make you reconsider your position on challenging the carbon tax in court? Absolutely not. Albertans spoke loud and clear last April, gave us very clear instructions to, to fight the Trudeau carbon tax. Uh, we made it clear we will fight it in court, we'll fight in the ballot box, and we'll do what we can. Now, this is not about us uh, not wanting to meet our climate change obligations. Alberta, Alberta takes climate change serious. We take emission management serious, but we're going to do it our way. We're not going to bring in a tax and try to manage the climate issue on the back of hard-working Alberta families. We have a different approach, and we expect the federal government to allow us to proceed with our approach. And then, again, to move forward with what is a critical project for our province, but also for this country. Do you think that there's a risk that the federal government won't approve this project based on what the minister is saying publicly in the media? Well, you know, if I go off of comments I've seen in the media, it, they're concerning uh, to me. Uh, I can't put myself, uh, in, you know, into their decision-making process because obviously I'm not in the room. All I can do is keep telling you, uh, you know, and, and the facts. And the facts are that this project has went through a very significant regulatory process. Uh, it has jumped through all of the hurdles. It's followed all of the rules. And the idea that the federal government would change the rules at the last minute is ridiculous. I mean, for my, our friends across the country, I mean, it's in Ontario, if there was an automobile plant that was going through, that had went through the regulatory process for almost a decade, went through all the approvals and was approved, and then all of a sudden at the last minute the federal government tried to change the rules at the, at the last minute, uh, I'm sure Ontario would be upset, and that's how Albertans are feeling right now. 
Why do you believe the federal government is is making that linkage? What do you think their goal is here? What, are they trying to prompt Alberta to do more on the environment? Is this to delay it? What do you think the reasoning is behind coming out and saying this? Well, the only thing I can think is that they got a bit of a political problem. Uh, they have stood up and said that they want to work with Alberta and deal with national unity, which is a real issue inside Confederation at the moment. So they have that on one hand, but on the other hand, they're worried about uh, portions of their base uh, and how this may impact them politically. Uh, that's that's, that's a tough spot maybe that they find themselves in, but I don't care. At the end of the day, they need to, if they have said that they want to work with our province, they've reached out, so they want to work on the unity issue. We have been clear as the Alberta government that this is one of the main issues that has to be addressed for that to be successful. And right now, if the ball is in Justin Trudeau's court, he has to decide if he's serious about working with Albertans or if he's going to prove what most people in this province believe, and that is Justin Trudeau is not interested in our success and he's not interested in the unity of this country, and he's not going to stand with Albertans. He's going to continue to knock us or hit us while we're down. So does that mean that you believe that the federal government wants to see the oil sands shut down? Well, I, I mean, all I can go off of is the prime minister's former comments. I mean, he's made comments to that effect in the past. And so I guess what I'm saying is now is his opportunity to show whether that those comments in the past are true and he's going to go out of his way to shut down the oil sands and to hurt Albertans, hardworking Albertans, or if his comments after the election are actual factual and that he is going to uh, reach out and work with us on unity issues and help our province out. The ball is in Prime Minister Trudeau's court. Albertans are waiting to hear his answer, and time is running out. It's time to make a decision. Uh, if you talk to federal liberals, they'll say, look, we have Christian Freeland out working hard, trying to connect. We bought uh, a pipeline for $4 billion. We've told Alberta we expect them to do more. They're not doing more. The ball is in their court to do more than just target the big emitters. Uh, and this is an opportunity for them to show that they're serious. What do you say to people who make that argument? It's a ridiculous argument. First of all, the fact that uh, the federal government bought a pipeline is because of their political failure to enforce the law. Uh, Alberta will not be held hostage uh, and negotiated with when it comes to re uh, developing our resources. We won the constitutional right to manage our own resources. Alberta takes emissions seriously, it takes climate change seriously, it has for a long time. It was the first province to regulate on emissions. We will continue to meet our climate obligations, but we will continue to stand up for our constitutional rights to develop our resources. The federal government has no business in this area from our perspective. And again, at the end of the day, this comes down to a project that was approved, went through the regulatory process both federally and provincially and was determined was in the best interest of this country. There is no excuse for the federal Liberals not to approve this and their actions in the next few weeks, I can't stress this enough, will finally tell Albertans once and for all whether the Prime Minister is serious about working with this province or not. Minister Nixon, that's all the time we have for today, but thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson.